Welcome to Kibbe on Liberty. This week, we're going to learn the truth about Kamala Harris's authoritarian record as Attorney General of California with the preeminent expert on the subject, Elizabeth Nolan Brown from Reason Magazine. Check it out. Elizabeth Nolan Brown, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Uh, the uh, tell us a little bit about about what you do at Reason. You're an associate editor at Reason Magazine. How long have you been there, and and what's your background? That uh, kind of thing. I've been there for five and a half years now, which seems insane. Um, I started in, in early 2014. I write about um, what I like to call like sex policy, pretty much anything with the intersection of, of sex and law and government. Um, I write about speech issues and technology regulation and a wide range of things, but those are sort of my, my main beats there. What um, were you doing before that? I, I've been a journalist for a long time, but I've been, uh, I worked at the AARP for the first few years. Well, I worked at a legal newspaper and then I worked at the AARP magazine for a few years in my early 20s. Um, that was kind of weird. But um, and then I did some uh, health and nutrition writing for a while. I always sort of um, I was always involved in libertarian things. And I always sort of had my own blog where I wrote about libertarian issues, but I never was able to find a job that, that matched with that until I got hired at Reason in 2014. So so what are your what are your ideological pronouns? Are you are you guys allowed to say as reporters? <laughs> like, are you Conservative, libertarian, progressive. Libertarian, yeah. libertarian, yeah. I say Always. I'm a, yeah. Um, I went to, when I was 22, so right out of college, I, I didn't know what libertarian was. Um, I was libertarian, I realize now, but I, you know, I didn't exactly, I didn't know that this was a cohesive sort of set of beliefs, and I went to an IHS, Institute for Humane Studies, uh, seminar, yeah. and that sort of introduced me to the whole world. I got a subscription to Reason Magazine, I went to the Cato Institute, it's all the, all the Beltway libertarian uh, things. Yeah, so yeah. That was my whole introduction. Um, and then I, I came here for grad school at American University. And that's when I started hanging out with, you know, going to Reason events and things like that and getting to know this whole world. Um, so, yeah, I'm a libertarian. So I'm also a feminist. I say I'm a libertarian feminist, which is sort of weird in this world. I, I, run a, I also run a group called Feminist for Liberty, which is a libertarian feminist group. Okay, I didn't know you... I didn't know you ran it. I knew you were involved. Yeah, uh, I launched it a couple of years ago with Kat Murdy, who works at the Cato Institute. Um, so we are the two people who are behind it. It's it's a very fledgling group. We're we're uh, you know it's just us. We both have full time jobs, so it's hard to sort of get it off the ground. But we're we're slowly but surely getting there. So what what is a libertarian feminist? I mean, I think most libertarians are feminists, right? I mean. Feminism, if, if, if we take it at the sort of, you know, fundamental belief, it's, you know, inequality before the law, inequality of all people based on a sort of natural rights-based thing. Um, throughout history, a lot of the feminist movements, especially early feminist movements, but also back and forth throughout the sort of, you know, whole history, modern history of the movement, individualist feminists or classical liberal or libertarian feminists, whatever you want to call them, have played a huge role in this. Um, you know, in, in the past 20 or so years, they have not. They've very much fallen out of fashion. And so I think a lot of libertarians are ready to just say, okay, well, I'm a libertarian. I don't need to also say I'm a feminist. And, um, you know, to me, that's I, I, that makes sense. But also we end up sort of ceding this whole territory. You know, a lot of times people even say they're anti-feminist because they libertarians will because they're talking about this sort of modern left feminism that they're, you know, seeing in, in the mainstream media and things. But then we end up sort of getting this reputation as being misogynist. We end up getting this reputation of not being caring about or speaking to any of these issues when we, when we do. And we have a lot to say about them. So yeah. it's really just a more of way of sort of um, focusing, saying, you know, that 
part of my libertarian project, I guess, is to focus on feminist issues, women's issues, gender issues, things like that. Yeah, I always, I always describe myself as a radical feminist, but then I go on to explain what I mean by that. Yeah. Like, I actually think that that women are just as capable as, as men to to mix it up and play rough and do whatever the heck they want to do with their lives. Right. But that's not modern feminism at all, I don't think. Well, and you have, yeah, you have both, you know, people who call themselves feminists on the left and then you have, you know, people on the right and they also are sort of pushing for the same things, which are both in different ways, sort of special treatment of groups, including men or women or various gender things, you know, before the role, um, before the law of, of mothers, before the law or whatever. And so, yeah. you know, having, yeah, I mean, what me and Kat and other libertarian feminists I do is just sort of push very libertarian policies, push, you know, less government intervention, less statism when it comes to, you know, more voluntary solutions, but make sure that we're doing that so that people know, like, we are wanting to, we, we have the same, we want the same outcomes as you. You know, we want people to have, we want women to have opportunities. We want people of all, you know, not to be limited by their gender roles. This is, um, people always say, like, isn't feminism collectivist? But, you know, there's nothing sort of more collectivist than saying someone has to be a representative of their sex or gender, right. you know? So. Right, yeah. The, and, and the reason I ask is your, your portfolio in particular at Reason seems to be um, what I would have used to call progressive in the sense that it was very focused on civil liberties and and going after anybody that would, would try to per- prosecute or persecute victimless crime, yeah. that kind of thing. And there used to be, I thought, a consensus at least amongst uh, even small government conservatives, certainly libertarians and ACLU progressives that, 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 that we all agreed on this stuff. We all agreed on free speech. We all agreed that the drug war was stupid, and 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 we all agreed that we should probably be putting fewer people that didn't hurt anybody in jail, that kind of thing. But that seems to be changing. Yeah, it's it's very strange, and I think that it's even changed. You know, just in the past five years that I've been covering this, it, yeah. the reason it's even gotten worse, which is you see it on both sides, like you said. Um, we used to have so much in common with the, with the right. I mean, you know, we think of libertarians as being more aligned with the right on a lot of things, at least in, in recent years, but also the old ACLU-style model of, of, of liberals and stuff, of yeah. Democrats. So if you, we had common ground with both, and yeah, it seems like that that is shrinking on both ends as, you know, liberals get more opposed to free speech and civil liberties and all these things that they used to, and meanwhile, conservatives are turning against free markets and all of these things that we used to share with them. So, it's, yeah. yeah, it's a strange time to be a libertarian, huh? And, and of course, the poster child for the new uh, progressive authoritarianism, in my mind, is, is none other than Kamala Harris, who's running for president, senator from California. And um, I guess... I guess it was August, there was this epic takedown where Tulsi Gabbard got like a minute. You know, they had 10,000 candidates on stage. Tulsi Gabbard used her minute not to answer the question because that that's crazy, but she she took her down, took down Kamala Harris um, for specifically for her record, uh, mostly as Attorney General of California. And I was like, wow, that's that's brave. But of course, Tulsi Gabbard magically is no longer in the debates and in a way that I that I think looks a little bit conspiratorial but I watched that and then um, and I know you I knew you had already been assigned by reason magazine to to work on her but but you appear to be a walking encyclopedia <laughs> of, of every flip-flop and every authoritarian thing that Camilla Harris ever did and I well it's, it's hard to keep them all straight at this point so um, there's yeah, so many I'm hoping you, but, uh, I was trying to keep them straight myself and I, I couldn't keep them out but uh, 
Um, what was the t- the title of of your sort of overall piece on her? Was Camilla Harris wants to be the top cop or something like that? Yeah, I, mean, I had a reason. Uh, print feature recently was called Yeah, Kamala Harris uh, is a is a cop who wants to be president because um that whole you know that was kind of a, a meme or or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Kamala Harris is a cop because sort of a shorthand way of saying. You know, and I say this in the article, when, when people say that, they're not obviously invoking the best of law enforcement. You know, it's almost like saying she's a narc or, but more than that, she's she's a dirty cop is, is more or less what it's sort of shorthand right. for. That she has this huge record of not just enforcing sort of, um, you know, not just regular enforcement of laws, not just regular enforcement of even petty laws. She, I mean, which she definitely did. She went after, even though she likes to say that she didn't now. I mean, if you look at her record, she went after homelessness and truancy and drug crimes and prostitution crimes and all these things that are, you know, where she, she likes to pretend now that she didn't. But also that she, you know, she fought to keep people in jail who evidence said that actually they were maybe innocent. You know, she just, things like, you know, she said she was against the three um, strikes penalty in California, which is, you know, sort of tough on crime laws like that. And then, but, but then behind, you know, closed doors, she'd actually fight for it. It was just, just it's just a series, an endless sort of series of things like that. Yeah. And then she... She and and you described her as somewhat Trumpian because yeah. now now when you challenge her on these things she's like uh, I didn't do that yeah it's it's amazing I mean this is even in the yeah especially it's I think they're picking up more as the campaign season has been happening you know like she said on on CNN she told um, I forget who one of, one of the hosts you know that she had no one had ever gone to jail in California because of her truancy policies which is just outright not true yeah. you know she'll support one thing and then she'll say later like well I never said that and you can you can find it. You can find a video or a or a public statement of her saying that. It's these sort of that's what's sort of amazing to me. Yeah, these lies that like Trump sometimes it's just like there is very plain evidence that this isn't a matter of interpretation, that you directly did this thing or this this is a fact and you're just outright willing to say that the opposite is true. Well, you brought up truancy, and I I don't know if we have to do this in any order, but but let's that's a pretty outrageous example of the way she abused her discretionary power and 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 put some some fairly helpless people behind bars even. T- tell that story. Yeah, so as first as um, DA of, of San Francisco and then in as later as Attorney General of California, she both um, sort of championed and was was a yeah, was a campaign for and then oversaw the enforcement of these new truancy laws that were sort of stricter truancy, you know, being if your kids skip school then, you know, that that's your, their truant. Um said if if your kids skip school then you could face criminal charges and jail time if you are the parent of a truant kid. And truancy is defined pretty I forget exactly what it was, but it's it's pretty loose. You know, it's like your kid was late without an excuse on like six or more occasions or something. You know, there there was a big story in HuffPost about one mom who had her daughter had chronic health problems, and you know, sometimes they wouldn't even accept the school wouldn't even accept her excuses, so that it was marked as an excuse, even though the mom would say we were at the doctor. So it's you know not 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 that maybe this even matters, but it's not necessarily like these parents were all even you know willfully you know not caring they just right. there's circumstances and this they she took this no it's just like a hard line approach if you do this then you will face jail time and whatever and she sort of now tried to walk it back and say well if any of these you know i just wanted to put the message out there that we care about schooling in california and um you know if any parents ended up being harmed by it or went to jail that wasn't my intention blah 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 but you know her book that she wrote that just came out in january actually even a few months later she was trying to walk this back but in that book she says Part of the reason she ran for attorney general was because she wanted to bring her criminalizing parents for truancy law that she had in San Francisco statewide. 
She yeah. specifically says that. So, I mean, she was clearly very proud of this, and this was a centerpiece of what she was doing. And I think the fact that she's now sort of totally willing to just be like, no, that's not, I wasn't into that at all, is, is sort of indicative of this whole, her whole shtick. The idea of putting parents in jail for truancy just sounds insane to me. I, I assume there's probably conservatives that, that have proposed the same thing. Do, do you want to know anything about the history? Like, why was this an issue for her? I don't. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know much about the larger issue. Yeah. I know that for her specifically, she writes a lot um, in her book. And even you know, I've, I've gone back through like tons of newspaper coverage of her, at, at, like contemporaneous news coverage of her initiatives in the 90s and early 2000s and stuff when she was around. And she was very big on the idea that people were going to go, kids who didn't go to school were then later going to end up in jail. So she'd say, you know, when I do this stuff, when I am in these drug so, courts, or so when I'm doing put this, put their moms in jail, right? Exactly. And also, it was kind of like, you know, she'd be like, when I'm doing these drug courts, then I see these kids, and because they weren't in school, now that it was like, well, also maybe we shouldn't be throwing them these right. kids in jail. You know, it's just. But that was that was her reasoning was that it was a sort of community outreach effort by putting people in jail. She'd prevent them from going to jail later or putting their parents in jail. Yeah, which empirically has to be the opposite outcome. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because you know, yeah, that's. It's not going to help anyone to have your parents have a criminal record or be away from you and that sort of thing. But like the the, her history is is kind of interesting, and maybe maybe it's because she ran in San Francisco, but but she ran as a progressive, um, including on issues. I don't know about truancy, but just she she thought that there were too many nonviolent criminals in jail, and and which is now sort of as this transpartisan thing where she's now involved with criminal justice reform. But she she ran as one thing, but she was she was every bit as law and order as uh, someone like Jeff Sessions. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe Jeff Sessions is an extreme example, but pretty every, or especially as like Joe Biden and these other people. You know, she's constantly hitting Biden for the crime bill and stuff. But yeah, one hundred percent. She yeah, ran. But, but Joe was doing this in the eighteen hundreds when it was <laughs> there was a different ethos back then. Well, she actually got started in the early nineties as a as a assistant prosecutor or whatever yeah. so she's yeah she's been doing this for a while too the first i've started seeing in the late 90s like her actually appear in newspaper articles but yeah again in campaigns she's like i'm a progressive prosecutor blah 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 um the person she replaced as as da of san francisco actually really kind of was if you by any sort of measure a progressive prosecutor actually i mean he like sort of elected not to prosecute these prostitution crimes these drug crimes these vice crimes you know he was sort yeah. of like i'm not going to do these petty vice crimes um, just, just a lot of things like that. He fired a lot of prosecutors and, and, and she kind of came in and was like, he's too loose on crime. So she actually sort of, she kind of ran on both sides, actually out of both sides, talking out of both sides of her mouth, both saying like, he's too, he's too ineffective on crime. I'll be a middle way between being too tough on crime, but being, not being ineffective. And then as soon as anybody criticized her when she was in office for any of her slightly revised policies, you know, like for a little bit, there was like a slightly less um, drug, just drug possession crime. People could go to drug court and get their, you know, record expunged if they got treatment, if they were addicts. Within like a year or two, she was like, no, 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 too many people are, are gaming the system. We need to send them to jail because police unions were complaining. People who were important to support her in San Francisco were complaining. Yeah, the the sessions thing might have been a little harsh, but she, but, she, <laughs> but she was a drug warrior though. No, she was. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. Sessions is just like seems like a particularly uh, egregious example, but um, but yeah, I mean, no, she was every bit as I think I wrote one of the first pieces I wrote about her that sort of got attention, and this is why I ended up being assigned to cover Harris for reason is because I'd mm-hmm. already been sort of writing about it was that I wrote something called like the phony feminism of Kamala Harris, and said that she's sort of 
her, her she portrays herself now as this feminist and this progressive when it came to criminal justice issues but like if you look at her record it's just she showed this enduring commitment to solving problems just like an old white dude from the 80s would yeah and that's you know to, yeah to, yeah jeff sessions yeah exactly so yeah so maybe so it wasn't you're her. conceding my point <laughs> Talk, talk a little bit more about about some of the drug warrior stuff because it it sounds like Nancy Reagan and Jeff Sessions had an illicit love child and it was Kamala Harris. I, just, um, I just said that. We yeah, again, that again, up. she you now now talks about one, and that's good. I mean, I'd rather her now be saying at least yeah. these things than still holding on to this drug warrior mentality. But, um, but you know, yeah, she she would say things like that. You know, drugs that drug was not a victimless drugs were not a victimless crime and things like that. Um, prostitution was not a victimless crime. And, you know, she would she would make all these excuses, like, well, because it's leading to all these other quality of life things. And she knew kind of how to talk the right talk to a progressive audience. But but ultimately, you know, she, yeah, she still had the same solutions, which was, you know, do stings, do raids, lock people up, increase the penalties, increase the jail time, instead of actually sort of being like, okay, maybe these are things that communities are struggling with. We don't want too much of, you know, the bad things that could come, you know, addiction or, you know, people being, you know, cursed or forced in the sex trade. But, like, instead of just addressing that, she would always just go after the consenting adults and then call it helping the other problem. How much of that is, because um, this this is a a national problem with, with prosecutors who are running for election and are always thinking someday there'll be a U.S. senator and they get measured on how many people they put in jail. Yeah. Is, is it just an incentive problem, or is there something more going on with her? And I realize you don't know the answer to that, but you're speculating. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that, yes, I don't know if you've examined every prosecutor how, I'm sure you'd find a lot of things you could object to now in this you know, this day and age with yeah. criminal justice reform and things like that. Amy Klobuchar, I know she does a lot of, I don't like her, a lot of things she's done now in the Senate, and you know, she's also running for president, but she does not seem to have quite as terrible of a record as as Harris, um, that's just one that I've examined recently. But I think I think the thing that sets Harris apart is a sort of showiness to it too. It's not just because later, if we look at her when she was Attorney General, then you know she's the top cop for the whole state of California, and she just did a lot of things like just sort of performatively going after big banks or big tech or um, Backpage, the classified advertising site, and just all these different things that she went after almost just to get her name in the headlines. And I think that's what made her, what makes her sort of especially bad and dangerous is that she was very good at getting media attention, but also it seems like a lot of the things she decided to do as a prosecutor or as attorney general were specifically just to like get her name out there rather than actually help with issues. Whereas... Even though some prosecutors may be bad, they don't seem to have quite that sort of need for attention. Or I guess political, you know, she clearly she wanted to get, she had higher ambitions and yeah. was willing to do whatever it took to get her name out there in order to do that. Yeah, she does seem to have a fairly um, fluid perception of her own record, too. <laughs> as, yes. That's a nice way of saying it. But when she responded to Tulsi Gabbard, and, and I, having read everything about her since then, I I think Tulsi Gabbard, in a very clinical way, and succinct and yeah, perfectly it was, it was characterized her entire record, yeah. but her response was was nonsensical. Yeah, I and mean, she really just the way she handled it was just to d- dismiss her. She sort of laughed at it. She sort of said, "Oh well," she you know alluded to, or she said, you know, Tulsi Gabbard met with Assad. Her campaign, her campaign, her communications manager on Twitter was going on about how sort of implying that Tulsi Gabbard was a Russian plant, like linking to this article about how maybe you know Russians loved her and stuff. And it was it was very much instead of yeah at all addressing the issue, she just sort of tried to smear 
Tulsi. And that's, that's sort of how this is, though. If she was now changed and was like, could account for these changes, right? That would be something different. I mean, I might still not believe it exactly, but at least it'd be a little bit better if she could now say like, look, I was like this, here's why I've changed, whatever. But instead, she just sort of, yeah, tries to pretend that she has always been yeah. different than she is yeah. she is now. Just, yeah, it reminds me of that that week when Ted Cruz was pretending to be a libertarian because <laughs> Rand Paul was trend, <laughs> trending in the polls. <laughs> And and now that she sees like you know and and she's clearly she's on a lot of really um, useful and important pieces of criminal justice reform legislation. Yeah, yeah. she's partnered and with she's Rand Paul. A bail and, reform yeah. thing. Yeah. So like, uh, but does she mean it? I don't. Right. I don't think so. There's a lot of her. You know, her favorite thing to say is like, "Well, I, I I'm really considering thinking about that, or we should really you know look into that further." She said, uh, just today there was a thing, or, or over the weekend, I guess she laughed when someone asked her a question about Trump and said he seems mentally retarded, and she laughed, and then people got mad and said, you know, you shouldn't laugh at someone calling someone retarded, and then she said, well, I didn't hear it. I didn't actually hear that he said that part. And that was the same thing we've seen in our debates. You know, she raised her hand when it said, should we abolish private insurance? She raised her hand later, and people were like, what? Like, I thought you didn't want to abolish, and it was like polling bad. She's like, oh, no, I didn't quite hear the question. Like, it's just it's just anything to deflect. Someone was like, we should fundraise. She, she was raising her hand to see which way the wind was blowing exactly. like, mm-hmm. on Medicare for All right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, she is. I mean, she's got that, that thing going on. Talk a little bit about... Um, well, we can't talk about it a little bit, a bit, but let's dig into the the back page story a little bit because there was an example in the um, in the article that you just referenced that you wrote about her sort of fake feminism, where she had um, wanted the authority to basically hold any um, web hosting company, any any company that that's online, which is everybody for any potential illegal activity in a, in a comment section or, or in, a, in an organic posting, which, which would destroy the internet. But it's, it's, such, it's such an authoritarian thing to do because it's a blank check. Because right. obviously 99 times out of 100, um, no one's ever gonna catch anybody doing anything nefarious online, but it, it allows you to go after specific people. And that, that seems to be part of her MO, particularly when it comes to Backpage. But but I guess we need to explain to people what Backpage is and 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 what her history was going after them. Yeah, so Backpage is was a classified ad website um, like Craigslist, which I think a lot of people are more familiar with. You know, it's just um, user-generated ads. You can go on, you put your email address on there or your phone number. You can post an ad. You can say, I'm selling a couch. You can say, I have a, you know, I'm looking for a babysitter. Um, I'm looking for a date. And both Craigslist and Backpage, once upon a time, had adult ad sections. You know, these were, you know, the people who founded Backpage had been, they founded an adult, uh, not, not an adult, they founded a newspaper, an, mm-hmm. a, a weekly newspaper in Phoenix in the 1970s. They went on to own more than 20 of them, including the Village Voice, um, these alt-weekly newspapers that you see in cities, you know, um, they were powered by classified ads, print, print classified ads, as were many newspapers back in the day. So when Craigslist came online, it had these online classified ads. It was sort of decimating the profits from the newspaper industry. Um, the guys who had, who eventually found a back page, they found a back page to sort of compete with Craigslist and have this print classifieds that they'd always had go online. So that's how it started. Um, it kind of became a big target. Craigslist became a big target of attorneys general. And then when Craigslist said, okay, well, we'll get rid of the adult ad section, 
anyone could see that the ads just clearly migrated over to their dating section or their their gigs section or whatever. But they didn't have a, a, a banner on the website that said adult ads. So then um, attorneys general, including Kamala Harris, started going after Backpage then and saying, okay, now you've got to take down this you know adult ads section. And um, the people behind Backpage were, I mean, they were like, no, because A, they believed in free speech. They, they're very, they, I mean, these guys uh, who founded it, they, just real quick with their newspapers and stuff they had been fighting and suing the government and getting sued by the government for about four decades by this point for any manner of free speech thing you could think of just pretty much any i mean they have just been fighting for first amendment rights forever so when they were like you've got to do this arbitrarily they were like no a on free speech grounds b on the grounds that that's not going to help because their idea was you've got to take it down because somehow, you know, if you allow any adult ads, then there might be some for people who don't exactly want to be doing it or some underage ads might be going through. And then therefore, if you just get rid of the section, it'll go away. And they're saying, no, it's not just going to go away. But they helped. They, um, you know, they worked with police, um, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, the Department of Justice, the FBI. The head of Backpage even got a, a, recommend, um, a commendation from the Department of Justice for helping fight sex trafficking because they would, you know, they would flag any ads that they thought looked like they had underage people in them. They would give records and everything to police and law enforcement and all of this stuff. So, sorry, this is a very long way of saying that, you know, that that's sort of why they came under, under the fire from people like Harris and eventually... They, but they couldn't get them. They couldn't get them because they weren't actually doing anything wrong. You know, they were providing this venue. They were not allowing people to explicitly post anything illegal. They were trying to stop the things that involved underage people and things like that. But regardless, Harris uh, had them arrested on California charges for pimping and conspiracy. And this was right before and she this was, is when she's attorney general. Yes, this is when she's attorney general and when she's running for the U.S. Senate. Yeah. And this is also after, you know, years of people across the country sort of scapegoating Backpage and then becoming, by this point in, in 2015 and 16, a big just sort of boogeyman. And she got to be the one that said, yes, I arrested them. She arrested them right before the uh, 2016 election. And so her name got in all the papers across the country as, as having, you know, taken down this child sex trafficker, and she called them the largest online brothel. And right after the election, and they the judge threw out the charges because they were just bogus, and the last thing she did with a few days left in office before she left the attorney general's office in California to go to the Senate was have them arrested on pretty much the exact same charges again. Yeah. And then a judge again threw out the pimping charges and said, like, look, you know, like you cannot hold them responsible for running for pimping because they ran a website where sometimes someone engaged in prostitution is. Yeah. So that was sort of. It does sound a little bit like the uh, the MO you were describing earlier, like, oh, there's a hot issue. Right. Um, nobody's in favor of sex trafficking. Right. Um, I'm going to I'm going to make myself a hero here, pretty much regardless of the law right. or the, the limits on her power. And that's that's the, the, the narrative arc in yeah. a lot of the stuff she did. Because, um, yeah, as. And I kind of I forgot to say this part, but you know, in 2013, her and a whole bunch of most of the other state attorneys general sent a letter to Congress saying we want to get rid of Section 230, which is this law that says, um, you know, internet service providers, computer computer apps, platforms, websites, things like that, shouldn't be treated as the speaker of content that other people post. So you know, everything from sites like Backpage or Craigslist to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, WordPress, yeah. everything. You know, they're not necessarily. If I go on there and I make a true threat or if I, engage, I put, post defamatory content or I go on there and I post an ad and then I meet up with someone and I sexually assault them, you know, they are not responsible for that just because they provided this intermediary platform. That's what Section 230 says. Um, law enforcement hates it because 
they would like to not be able to just hold the actual criminals accountable because the actual criminals are usually very small-time criminals and don't have a lot of money. They want to be able to hold these websites like Backpage and all you know now social media um, things accountable because they have huge pockets and things like that. So attorney generals wanted to sue Backpage and said we need to get rid of Section 230 so we can get Backpage. They, they didn't. I mean, um, but now the Department of Justice has arrested Backpage. That's still ongoing. That's a whole other matter. But um, now the attorneys general say, okay, well, now we need to destroy Section 230 because of political bias or revenge porn or gun violence or terrorism. And now they've just got a thousand different reasons. And it, it, it's, you know, this is what I've been saying and, and, you know, other people, civil libertarians have been saying all along, secretaries have been saying all along. This isn't about, this was never about this being necessary to stop tra- sex trafficking. This is about sort of undermining this law that lets free speech flourish and lets politicians not shut down tech companies that permit free speech. That is interesting, like the, so the, the real angle here. And there's also like this parochial thing where, where the guys from Backpage made it a personal mission to, to um, take on John McCain. Yeah. Yeah. And his wife, Cindy I mean, yeah, McCain. they wrote so much um, just because, yeah, they are from Phoenix. So exposing pretty much from the 80s on, like, all every scandal that John McCain was involved in. Cindy McCain's um, drug habit that she sort of then, she stole pills from a charity that she founded to give medicine to um, children in poor countries. And then she actually stole, forged prescriptions and stole the drugs that were supposed to go to these poor children. And they broke that story in yeah. the news. So, I mean, yeah, they, and then Cindy McCain and John McCain later became really big on this issue of, of allegedly, you know, things to stop sex trafficking and, and by going after Section 230 and the internet and things like that. And they became one of the biggest proponents against Backpage, so. And they, they sort of brought that to the Senate and so yes, like Kamala yes. Harris and, and their, yeah. uh, Harris Rob, is really Rob sort of Portman. latched on There's after. others, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Harris, even though she became one of the biggest proponents, actually, like, I mean, earlier than that, back starting around 2010, 11, 12, before Harris was even involved in this, it was actually the McCains were a big, were a big, part of getting this on the national scale um i would imagine there's there's probably like two types of legislators and it's probably true with a lot of um supposedly well-meaning but ultimately very destructive legislation there's there's probably the guys that have this 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 unspoken agenda of what we really want to do is is shut down the 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 freedom part of the internet and then there's other people that probably don't know enough to know any better saying well i I really want to stop um, uh, sex trafficking. Right. It's horrific. I, I don't think that should happen. Right. And I mean, that's why it's hard. People like to try to say that there's one or another, that there's that there's some sort of overarching reason because it's this or that. And, you know, it's it's feminists who hate sex and this is their ulterior motive or it's conservatives who do this or it's genuinely good people. And I think it's, I mean, yeah, I think it's everything. I think that it's that this perfect storm of of things where there's just like a lot of people who had really bad reasons and some people who just had good reasons and didn't, you know, know enough about things to help yet yeah, all sort of converged on this. It let the good actors and the bad actors sort of blend their missions and, yeah. and feed off each other. Which gets us back to Kamala Harris. All right. Cause, cause I, I view her as sort of uh, everything that, that Frederick Hayek warned us against because she, she loves to use her discretionary power um, in, in fairly unscrupulous ways and she doesn't really she talks about the rule of law but she doesn't care about the rule of law and and you know prosecutors are are sort of government prosecutors are sort of infamous for this they they'll they'll do whatever it takes yeah to get the guy yeah and that to me strikes like it's it's a fundamental problem with any sort of legislative scheme to to fix 
a real or imagined problem is you, you got to put people like Kamala Harris in charge of imp- implementing that law. And right. she, she doesn't care. No. And it's kind of funny because that's one of the things that sort of propelled her to attention, a lot of attention when she first started in the Senate. Now, um, it has been that, you know, when she had to grill Brett Kavanaugh during those hearings, or I forget what one of other, another Trump appointee that she was grilling. And she's been very much like, asking questions in this way that people were like, yeah. And I was watching it, and I'm just like, she's sneaky, though. You look at what she was saying, and it never even wasn't, and this is even, there were some people she was interviewing that I didn't even like the person. I think you know, one of them might have been like Jeff Sessions or something. It's like, I didn't think that she, I didn't think that they were right, but the way she questioned them, the applause line she got, where when she'd kind of be like, where were you on this day? And it was just this sneaky prosecutor's way of questioning people. I think she's definitely brought that to to the Senate, and it gets it gets attention in these sound bites, it get, or in these clips. You know, these these thirty second or ten second clips that would get shared on Twitter. She'd be like, "Yeah, look at her. She's like really going after them." But then, if you if you keep watching, I mean, she's not actually saying anything. There's not there was no substance to the, a lot of these critiques and things like that. Yeah, conservatives had the same moment when uh, who's the guy from South Carolina? My least favorite senator. Who's the guy? The neocon. Uh, Lindsey Graham, yeah. thank you. Yeah, oh god. Yeah, Lindsey Graham had his Kavanaugh moment, and, it, and again, it was like a show. But all of a sudden, conservatives had forgotten like uh, all of the horrible neocon stuff that he'd done. That the the soundbite is a is a dangerous thing in the internet world. Yeah. But but you know this this gets to Hayek's point. Like people that are unscrupulous, people that are willing to to sort of exploit the the way that the the rules are set up. They climb yeah. in, in big government and they, you know, all of these, the more complicated, the more power, um, the bigger the scheme, the more unscrupulous people are attracted who end up implementing it in ways that were never intended in the first place. I really think um, Josh Hawley, the, he was uh, the AG of Missouri and now is, he just started in the Senate um, this past, uh, after the past well, he's, he's the chief designer at Facebook now, as I understand. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Him and, him and Harris remind me so much, so much of each other, actually, too. They both sort of have this, and you know, he's been getting all this attention. He's been sort of the rising star for the past year in the, or you know, past however many months in the, in the Republican Party and the, their new senator. They uh, have so much in common because they, they both sort of have that impulse. Yeah. I guarantee we're going to have this, we're going to have like a Holly Harris election someday it's going to be uh. terrible but um <laughs> but no i mean yeah he he but he's also sort of gone after section 230 and and he also he also went after backpage as ag of missouri and it's just funny because him and harris they go after the exact same things with wildly different excuses that sort of both pander to their bases and when you look at it it's like oh what they're what they're really describing for is control control yeah. of speech control of you know the mechanisms of the internet things like that yeah it's all related did he um just just to Put it on the record. Did he go after the Facebook scroll or the YouTube scroll? I can't remember anymore. Uh, YouTube. He go, went after autoplay videos on YouTube. Yeah. He also would ban YouTube or Facebook or anyone from promoting or recommending any video that features a minor. But just any video, you know. So you've got teen YouTube stars. You've got a grandma who shares their video on Facebook and wants to say like, "Hey, he he had a bill to ban that." I mean, he's yeah. yeah. He's had like five or six actually by this point, or, or maybe three or four. Uh, but they're really bad, stupid bills, just sort of micromanaging the way that web services can be designed. Which which he clearly knows nothing about. But, right. Right. But but there's there's the twenty dollar question: Is he is he just being dumb or is he actually got this sort of subversive 
evil. I'm going to take over the internet so that I can dictate who gets to speak and who doesn't on there. I think the latter. Yeah. Because, I mean, he's a he's a constitutional lawyer. He went to Yale and I forget what other school. Um, but he's, you know, he's he's should be theoretically smart. He should at least know the law. Yeah. I mean, he, and he's constantly misrepresented it in just these very basic ways that, you know, anybody who just reads about it could see are wrong. So also because, you know, he, he started, in, again, as, as AG going, we need to go after this, this Section 230 because of Backpage and because of sex trafficking, and now he switched it to, oh, because of political bias and or because YouTube is trying to addict you with its algorithms and its autoplay and stuff. So, yeah, it seems like he's almost just willing to also grab whatever, because now, I mean, actually... The, the whole, like, you know, back page and sex type and stuff sort of faded, and now this whole idea about just big tech in general being evil. And so he sort of lashed on that. It just seems like whatever, yeah, is the popular. Yeah. So when you said they would be running in, in the future, are they going to run on the same ticket? No, no, no. I, or, just, I, I think we're going to have, like, a horrible choice. But, to, I mean, not, like, I just not vote for them either, obviously. But I feel like... Yeah. I feel like we will see him running for president someday. I mean, maybe she'll never... Hopefully. Hopefully neither of them would ever get the nomination, but I could... Yeah. I could see eventually. They're both young, you know. Well, she's she, like 38. She's in her 40s, I think. So. She's she's down right now, but I I wouldn't make yeah. any bold predictions no. about who's going to emerge from the Democratic primary. I don't think this will. I don't. I mean, yeah, I'd be shocked if she actually would end up getting it. Um, I don't know about what her chances are about yeah. as a vice president or anything, but I but I don't think this is the last that we will like see of her on uh, running for president or running for higher national office. The worst thing would be uh, if, you know, she doesn't get it and then she gets nominated attorney, and the Democrats win and then she gets nominated attorney general. <laughs> See, the Jeff Sessions analogy <laughs> yeah, is holding yeah. here. Um, so let's let's do a shameless plug for the the, the uh, reporting that Reason is doing on, on the presidential cycle. I, and I, I, told, I told Catherine when she was on, like, you guys are literally one of the places that still does actual reporting as opposed to just recycling and, and regurgitating and publishing other people's tweets. And you guys have taken on this monumental task of actually covering all of, I guess, all the major candidates. Yeah. I don't know, like, how many, do, do you know off the top of your head how many you're actually reporting on? I mean, I think almost all of them, like, all the Democrats that were in the debate, someone's assigned to all of them. But but whether, you know, how much they get covered really sort of depends on who who the reporter is that's doing it and and what they actually do that's newsworthy or not but um it's i'm glad you said that that we are doing actually reporting because we are and you should read our election coverage um we you know we did this sort of same thing we all got assigned a candidate during the 2016 election and we all get together and blog all the debates and everything the funny thing is that people kind of say we we go against i guess the traditional sort of neutral reporting where it's like you don't have any opinion. I mean, people know where we stand. We even, Reason's one of the few publications that after each election publishes how each of their writers voted. I mean, we, it's a voluntary thing, but we can say, you know, and we publish a thing. So it's like, we let you know where we're coming from, but it's also, we're not Breitbart or something. We're not just mixing in facts with our own opinion. You know, we're very straightforward with where our opinion is so that you know what is, you know, here's what's the facts and then here's our spin on it. Not not spin. Spin sounds like we're spin, But, you know, here's our analysis of it, I guess, is, yeah. is sort of what we end up doing a lot of. Yeah, the, the, the reporters who, who clearly have a bias but insist that they're somehow right. some unmoved movers, right. totally objective, um, I think I think they're doing reporting a disservice because because everybody has a perspective, right. and you can't like if you're human you you have a way of filtering information and telling a story. Um, so let's uh, on the spot, let's rank 
Um, let, let's just pick out a couple more authoritarians in, in the Democratic <laughs> primary, sort of people that are more egregiously. You, you guys have done a lot of writing on, on Joe Biden, for instance. Yeah. I suppose he makes the list. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure which ones don't make the list. That would be... Um, <laughs> Then maybe well, be by, a, by a libertarian perspective, yeah. I guess almost anybody running for public office is, yeah. is probably a little bit suspect. Uh, really hoping that, I, I mean, I like Tulsi Gabbard's got some, she's still got some terrible opinions, but obviously it's great to see someone actually being out there and calling out like uh, these, you know, being a sort of anti-war candidate and anti-military. Yeah, we definitely disagree with so. her on economics. Yeah, generally, yeah, yeah. And she's actually, I mean, she's sometimes sort of bad about it, even I was surprised she's suing Google over something really dumb. So she's not even great on free speech issues but still the fact that she's i mean she's clearly not going to go anywhere like long term but that she was in these debates and calling out harris on her criminal justice stuff calling out people on their you know warmongering stuff was, was great the war stuff like i um as as someone that used to exclusively obsess about fiscal issues and, and debt and deficits and and reigning in the federal budget i, I used to be a budget economist I, I came to a realization when republicans control congress that um Foreign policy is the linchpin for all of this stuff, because you know way back in the day, even even during World War II, where there's a huge spike in in defense spending, they used to have this trade-off they called guns versus butter, where if you're at war, you're going to cut domestic spending to to ramp up um, for for the troops and that kind of stuff. And we don't do that yeah, anymore. Yeah, I was say, do we do that anymore? We just it's, keep spending all the, all the things. The, the deal, like the bipartisan deal yeah. today is, okay, you guys, you, you Republicans, you want to spend on permanent war in, in Syria, Afghanistan, fill in the blank, whatever the next war is they want to fight. Uh, that's great, but you got to fund all our domestic priorities in exchange for that. So in that sense, um, I, I think that's why I at least like Tulsi Gabbard, yeah. who's willing to speak as as a as a veteran, like right. and she, so she's yeah. credible on that subject. So I I appreciate that, and that's of course why why I, I like uh, you know what Justin Amash has to say. Justin, and yeah. I really hope that he ends up running. I don't know what he's going to do as a uh, libertarian or independent or whatever. Yeah, that'd be amazing. But I know it's. I, mean, I know a lot of people have a ideas about whether or not that'd be good or bad. Do you think that'd be a good or bad thing? Um, it's a. I think it's a very tough cycle to run as a third party candidate. Yeah. Um, because and we saw this like I, I was I was doing stuff for Gary Johnson in in 2012 um, after I, I did stuff for Rand Paul before that and and a lot of young people were gravitating towards Gary but as, as we got closer and closer to the election they made one of two choices either they had to show up and vote against the person they really hated right. or more likely they just stayed home um, because they're like well my guy's not going to win, and why would I stand in line to vote for someone that can't win? So you have that that sort of uh, disenfranchising yeah. aspect of elections, and of course the two party system um, doesn't. For the same reason, I, I I mean they did to Tulsi Gabbard what what they did to Ron Paul, and you know the the two parties did to you know Gary Johnson what what they would do if if another third party candidate emerged. They they don't want competition. Yeah. And, and why it is that the monopolists are in charge of the regulations of, of the two-party system, I, I don't know. But it's, it's a dilemma for yeah. people that would like choices. Yeah. But that's why we have Reason Magazine. <laughs> so what, what are your final thoughts on uh, – so you, you predict – you don't think she's going to survive the, the 2020 
Scrum no, and maybe and my colleague Slade, Stephanie Slade, at Reason would just you know punch me for this. Um, except that non-aggression principle, so not not really. But uh, uh but for o- saying only that, a provoked punch. Yeah, yeah. Only yeah. If, which she might consider this actually adequate provocation. She's always just like, don't pay attention to polls this early in the game. Yeah. And it's just like you know, I've been I've been very heartened lately to see that it's. I mean, not. I just Harris is the one I want least to get the nomination. Not like I like the other ones, but seeing it sort of coalesce around. Biden, Sanders, or Warren, and, and Harris gets sort of pushed out has is, is is heartening. But I mean, yeah, I guess who knows at this point in time. Yeah, it's I mean, and I I sort of I I like to find like a silver lining to all of this. I, I like the fact that Joe Biden isn't simply preordained as a right. Democratic candidate simply because he's been in power forever, right? And he's been standing in line the longest. Of course, Hillary was that candidate as well. Joe um, Biden is at least kind of like the evil we know too. I mean, we yeah. Yeah. We would. It's not like he'd be good on a lot of things, but at least we know the ways he would be bad. So. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> it's the wild west out there, and and nobody seems to be talking a lot about liberty. No, it's it's a it's a bad. It's it's really scary. I think how much yeah, just both both things we had in common with uh, with either of the major parties are. They're pulling away from us both in the opposite directions of liberty. Yeah, this authoritarian thing we're talking about, and we've we've been picking on Democrats today, but there's right. there's a quite the authoritarian streak yeah. in the modern Republican Party, or just that, a tendency away from you know free markets, and yeah. a tendency away from yeah, which is just that's also terrifying in its own you know whole other subject. But <laughs> so once again, libertarians are on this small island in the middle of nowhere, totally screwed. But I think the most most Americans agree with us. The silent majority out there sort of agrees with us. Thanks for ending on an uplifting yeah. note. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Very libertarian. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thanks for listening to Kibbe on Liberty. Be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast. Your ratings will help us reach even more people with our mostly honest conversations with mostly interesting people.